All right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sunday Interviews. We have a very, very special guest today with us. We have Yasmin Mohammed, a very sound pro-freedom campaigner, activist, and an ex-Muslim who lives in Canada. Yes, despite being Canadian, she's from the British Columbian side, so that's actually quite sound. So, generally speaking, let's just say British. There, welcome to the show, Yasmin. How are you? I am very good. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. Well, thanks for coming because. Um, Basically, I used to have this YouTube channel um, as a main platform, uh, but YouTube censored a lot of things I used to say, so I created my own new channel, and now we have freedom to talk about whatever we want. We had some difficulties, I couldn't really talk about a lot of topics that it's kind of normal to talk about, like COVID, you can't say COVID, you couldn't say Islam, you would get demonetized. The reason I say that is because, for those of you who don't know, uh, Yasmin, um, similar background in terms of uh, the cultural side, um, an ex-Muslim who is actually very... um, um, against the, the the oppression side of the the ideology in terms of a hijab and things like that. Um, uh, for those of you, in case you don't know, obviously I was born in Iran, and my family had to flee um, the Islamism side of Iran, and uh, we came to the West. We embraced the West, um, and some people would think, "Oh, you're the traitor." I'm guessing, of course, uh, Yasmin's family uh, might have experienced the same things. Um, obviously, her mother was uh, Egyptian, um, a niece of a former Egyptian president. Her father was Palestinian. Uh, so Yasmin, um, go, give us some sort of summary of uh, your journey and what's going on with the world of politics. Well, my family were different from yours in that they did not embrace the West. They did not embrace Western values. They um, exploited the West. They took everything that they could from here. They got, you know, all of the social services, the freedom, and, you know, the, the cleanliness, the safety, the health benefits, all of that stuff. Meanwhile, the whole time they were hating the dirty infidels and hating the dirty West and and angry at liberalism and angry at freedom. So it's a it's a really weird paradox. I see you nodding your head. I know you know all about it, but it confuses people. You know, people are like, why would you leave, you know, the country where you had the this way of life to come to a free country only to complain about freedom? And, you know, that's a question I asked over and over and over again growing up, and uh, I could never get a a good answer. And I think at the end of the day, it's just, you know, exploiting the (laughs) the better place to live. I might might have the answer for you because I've been thinking about this for years now. And my view is, um, especially when it comes to the certain cultures of either North Africa or the Middle East, especially the Islam world um, or the Muslim world in general, uh, there are certain uh, tribes and nations uh, like Egypt and Iran, for example, that I'm guessing my theory is that because and they they had the past, the legacy, and they they kind of cling on to it, even though like they might still hate the Faras or the Shahs and all that, but it's like they're Muslim. And there's this thing, uh, this pride. So it's the same with the, the Persians, the Iranians who come to the West, whether in like in the US, Canada, or the UK. Uh, from my understanding, if I make it like you know very black and white, 50-50. One chunk are the ones who come to the West. They know why they fled, and they kind of um, they still embrace. Uh, they well, they keep their culture, but they embrace the West. The others come to the West because they have to, because they're like, oh, we, we we need to get out. But they essentially spend the whole time, as you said, um, attacking the Western civilization and kind of defending the, the culture that they ran away from. And the only my my theory is that it, it's the only certain tribes. It's the ones who had some sort of. Uh, ancient civilization and i think they that pride is the reason that they accidentally unintentionally defending the same dictatorships that they ran away from you don't really get that from the other 
uh, Muslim uh, refugees or migrants from the, the other countries when they come from like Iraq, for example, uh, then they, they are they don't really come or if they come, they're like, oh, fine, I'm just going to be a Westerner. Uh, whereas uh, uh, the Turks, the Egyptians, the Persians, uh, they, they come here and they're like, OK, I'm here. I'm, I'm loving it. But is this some sort of a tickle that I, I, surely I can't love it too much? I'm going to have to attack yeah. the system. Uh, I'm guessing that's is that what you experienced as well. That does sound familiar. That does sound right. There was a lot of um, uh, <laughs> Egyptians do have a very big head in like that they really believe. That, <laughs> yeah, you know, they believe that they 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 started human civilization. We would be nothing without them. They invented, you know, math and science and language and everything. Um, so it's all really great. I'm glad that they have that pride in themselves. But, you know, I lived in Egypt for a few years and I was like, but what have you guys done like in the past 3000 years? <laughs> it doesn't really help, by the way, because uh, you, you, were, you were just saying what the truth is. And I was criticizing both sides, uh, the Egyptians, the Persians, for example, for having a big, big head. You just said that you just brought out my rivalry. I'm, I'm going to defend like, no, the Persians started this civilization. We gave them the, the canals. And like, it's this classic thing. It always happens. It's nonsensical. Yeah. The, the, the main question today, I just want to ask you about this thing, because um, when we come to the West, and look, it's, it's some of us from from the Muslim world or the systems, to be fair, Iran is very specific because, uh, yeah, post seventy nine revolution, it became an Islamic regime, but it doesn't really mean that the people are have always been uh, like uh, even like hardcore Muslims. Some just similar to Egypt essentially as well. Um, why is it that a man who is like me uh, could come out and say, essentially? Even not directly say I'm an ex-Muslim or uh, or I'm from that area but I'm not Muslim. That's sl slightly easier than a woman saying I'm an ex-Muslim or uh, I don't want to be Muslim in culturally and ideologically. Someone like you, you would get attacked more than someone like me. I think it has a lot to do with the controls that are on women in general as a Muslim. So you know, as a man growing up. In a Muslim society, you already have so many more freedoms. You get to decide what you want to wear on your body. You get to decide uh, if you want to walk out the door and where to go on your own. You don't have to have a female guardian with you. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you already you get to work. You get to go to school. You get to 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 a certain extent, you get to choose who you want to marry. I know that there's still coercion um, for men as well, but. Yeah you know, you're not being forced into a child marriage like women generally are or quite often are. So yeah. I think it's just an, an, you know, a extension of that. So there is a real sense of So that, mm. that's a, from an ayah from the Quran that says men are responsible for women. So yep. men are the guardians of women. So that patriarchal attitude, that condescending attitude yep. of men towards women it doesn't go away when yeah. they, um, you know, when they see a woman deciding that she wants to stand up for herself and not wear hijab anymore, not be a Muslim anymore, whatever it is that she wants to do that defies the, the social. Hmm. Um, but that's the biggest issue. I think um, one of the main debates around this thing is about um, we in the West and um, how do we manage to counter this, uh, we would say that the liberal regressive, if they say progressive, I'd say regressive side who would uh, 
put all the Western Muslims in the same category. If they see a, a Muslim person with a with a kind of niqab or burqa, they would they would think every single Muslim woman in the Arab world will wear that, even though they don't really do that. It's a very certain class and tribe to do that. Uh, so if you criticize that, even um, someone like people like us who kind of have some sort of links to those areas they would say well you still can't say it that's still xenophobic and racist even though it's not race and uh, so how do we manage because i've got this fear um because well canada in general they um they were very uh, open when it comes to migration um and uh you know some some of of course uh, re rebelled against it but the britain right now we're going through this issue of uh, illegal migration it's not about legal migration it's illegal migration that there's a wave of people coming and um Despite the fact that you've got, you've got the minority people just kicking off for different reasons, but there is this fear that the reason I'm against the big mass of illegal migration is because I'm not just defending the, the white Anglo-Saxon Brits, the, the tribalists. No, no, I'm not even defending them. I'm defending them as on top of the legal migrants and the uh, refugees and second generation, even first, who would actually be undermined. And the, the more you have certain areas filled with first wave of migrants, uh, you make it harder for them to integrate. You will accidentally create ghettos. You will create the problem where uh, they can't actually get into society. Um, how do we try to fix it, uh, not in terms of political legislation, but in terms of culturally, uh, win the debate without being called racist or, you know, tr or tribalist or whatever it is? Well, I think it's important to understand that it's a two-way street. So I was talking to you a little bit about my family and how they, you know, hated Western civilization and they didn't want anything to do with, you know, liberal ideas or anything like that. So, you know, I think that we as a society can do as much as we can to help people to integrate, to help people, you know, to learn the language, to feel comfortable. Um, but there is a certain point where we have to realize some people just don't want that. They do want the ghettos. They do want to stay separate. And so when they do choose to do that, we can't feel responsible for that, but we can make it difficult to do that. We can make it difficult for people to stay in their little bubbles and to le live in separatist societies like the one I lived in and the ones that you're seeing in Sweden and France and Scotland. Germany. And the yeah. World. Germany, yeah. So those are very dangerous little Sharia ghettos. And, uh, you know, you've got your Islamic school, you've got your... Um, you're everything that you need in this in this little area. And, you know, there's uh, one woman that I know who is um, uh, half Scottish and half Pakistani. And she was talking about she had family members, like second, third generation family members who only spoke Urdu. They didn't need to step outside of the bubble. They didn't even need to integrate with the rest of society because they got everything that they wanted. Um, and that's shocking to me that I was really surprised because I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they said it was you know a new immigrant um, but even a first generation I, I'd be shocked but yeah she this is what she was saying like it's just so comfortable to live in these um, little ghettos and then the girls get married very young and then they start having babies and then there's just no reason to to interact with the greater society so we need to mitigate that we need to find ways to not allow these ghettos to occur because it's not good for um the greater society and it's not good for the people that are living in those ghettos either it's not good for anybody you're creating um 
well, ghettos, right? You're you're, yep. you're creating a like two tiered yep. systems, or, and and it, it it's it makes it almost impossible for people like me and Shazia, the, the the girl I was talking about, that half um, Scottish and half Pakistani, makes it so much more difficult for people like us when we want to um, choose freedom. You know, so for me, I, I highlight this in my book about how even though I was born and raised in Canada, same thing for Shazia, even though she's born and raised in Scotland, it was like going to another country. It's like we were immigrants in our own country. We didn't know how anything worked. We didn't understand our society. We didn't even understand our fellow citizens in the country. Yeah. We didn't know anything. Um, and that's a that's a real disservice. We both of us went to Islamic schools and we were completely segregated from the rest of society. And when is segregation a good thing? So, um, yeah. yeah, I think we need to somehow have policies. I'm not exactly sure how, yep. but we need to make sure that when we are bringing uh, refugees in or bringing uh, immigrants in, that we're making sure somehow Some that they're plan. getting integrated into society yep. comfortably, that they're learning the language, that they're getting helping them to get jobs, moving them into areas where there are not, because they do this a lot, like here in Canada, they're mm. like, Oh, you're from X country. Okay, I'll send you to X area because that's where a lot of others yep. of your type <laughs> yep. speak the same language. You guys can all support each other. Da, 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 da. It comes from a good place, but it's I think it's the wrong policy. Same thing happened here. A big make of migrants come and then it's actually also the government problem here. The, the home office here, they send a lot of their groups directed certain places. Like, well, a lot of you are in Luton. We're going to send you to Luton or Birmingham or Glasgow. Like, instead of actually spreading them around, as a, instead of to create kind of ghettos, um, they, so we talked about obviously the problem. So we're not going to just talk about doom and gloom. I mean, you know, we said that, like, oh, what, how, we, roughly speaking, what sort of uh, solutions we should have. Uh, do we have? Do you have any kind of hope? Do you see any hope? Or because I'm, I'm, I'm part of a view that with a lot of things as well, politically in the culture wars and everything else, my view is that we unfortunately have to go through the dark period until we come back like a cycle. Do you still see it that way, or do you think there's hope that we could just prevent? chaos or do you think like me you have to go through the dark phase first i definitely agree with you that it is a cycle of a dark phase and your country is a really good example of that i mean what's happening in iran right now is uh, i just can't even believe the kinds of things that i'm seeing the strength of the of the women there especially you know or look at what's happening in afghanistan right now you know, women are having guns pointed at their chests and they're still yelling back at the Taliban. Like these are people that have, you know, like for for example, in Iran, like you've had the boot of Islamism on your neck for 40 years and people have just said, you know what, enough. These are the I've true had... feminists. They're the real feminists. Actually. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Right now, yeah, Western feminists are more concerned about the, getting the right kind of avocado <laughs> rather than like, you know, just focusing on real problems. It is difficult. Um, but no, I mean, it is, this sort of conversation needs to happen more. Uh, you've been very outspoken on a number of issues um, and then you, know, you write stuff and you go out there, you speak um, you know, out there in the media, press. Um, I still feel like there is a big gap in the market when it comes to Western media uh, of uh, outspoken views because uh, when it comes to... Even if you're going to call them the right or the anti-left, culturally, not even politically, uh, they tend to attract uh, or try to get bring on a lot of the caricature version of the, the right 
uh, or the or the pro freedom side to make fun of them. They bring him on the like TV channels. They they, they say ah, they, see this crazy guy is the right wing guy. Right. Uh, so like, let's just make fun of him. I think there should be some sort of um, pushback, uh, whether it's the Canadian uh, society or the American media or in, in this country as well, uh, to have the good people to be involved. Because even like some of the, the sensible good people, like Jordan Peterson, who's not even political, he's, he came up because he was talking about philosophical stuff. Uh, he was painted as this like far right political like um, Hitler, like. He never even said anything about politics. <laughs> Somehow you made him this like like devil. Um, is uh, yeah. To, just to finish you up, the last few words. There, do you think there's um? What, how do we fix this problem with the right people, the sensible people, get more platforms uh, instead of having the the caricature version of the right wingers being portrayed? I mean, that's the that's the million dollar question because we're having caricatures from from the left and we're having caricatures from the right and they're the ones that are the loudest they're the ones that are getting the most airtime they're the ones that get the most clicks so they're more, most interesting um it's diabolical because it is it is creating such divisiveness in the society and honestly most of us are rational people in between going what is wrong with you people? <laughs> this is crazy. That's me every day, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. But yeah, there, there, I feel like there are no adults in the room. Where are the rational voices? Where are the grown-ups? I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's quite terrifying. It's a bit sad. I mean, I, I was hoping that either of us or both of us could, could uh, finish it by uh, some sort of happy note. But we, we can't. We're still going through chaos, so it's fine. Let's just finish on chaos. <laughs> Thanks again so much for coming on the show. And I'll, I'll put there your I Twitter handles and everything in the description for everybody to follow. And uh, yeah, thanks again so much for coming to the show. And uh, guys, don't forget, support the channel and support Yasmin Mohammed as well. My TC, and I'll see you guys in the next video.